Thank you, Tim. So much wisdom um, and also so much love for God. I mean, just bringing the gospel, which has just made my heart uh, so grateful and glad for you tonight. Thank you. We have about 20 minutes now that we would love to invite folk to ask you some questions. Um, there is a QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. If you scan that with your phone, uh, you will be able to go to a form where you can type in any questions that you might have. The other option is that you can raise your hand um, and Ed and I will run around and pass you a mic. Um, and yeah, we'll see what you feel most comfortable with, Tim, and then we'll probably end after about oh, 20 minutes. Give us anything. It's fine. Yeah. I'm used to going to, we had a lovely, lovely visit from one of the small primary schools in my patch. And the brilliant thing about going into primary schools or them coming to parliament is they ask you stuff. They, they don't know what they're not meant to ask you. So you get awesome, awesome, and sometimes really horrific questions. So I bet, you know, I'll, reg I'll regret this, but, you know, beat that. Go for it. <laughs> well, I think that sometimes happens in the church as well. So let's see tonight. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's start with a couple of hands raised, maybe, if you're up for that. Anybody over this side? Here we go. Hi, Tim. Yeah, first of all, thanks for an amazing talk. It's really, very interesting. Um, so I, I want to go back to what you were saying about when you were so leader of the Liberal Democrats. Um, and you spoke about the choice between essentially being a rubbish Christian and a rubbish leader um, and not wanting to kind of make either of those compromises. Does that mean you think Christians can't be leaders of, of kind of big political parties? Uh, no, I, I mean, the, the, the easy answer to that is that a wiser person than me could be. Um, the, uh, in my defence, because uh, no one else is going to, uh, but in my defence, um, I'd say, so Kate Forbes has uh, two advantages. One, I think she's wiser and more talented than me. And two, she's the leader of a major party. She's the biggest party in Scotland. So she's got bandwidth. And you've seen her very wisely unpack her faith, put it all out there, had the time to explain it. I was the leader of a you know, we'd got absolutely annihilated the 2015 election. We'd gone down from 57 to 8. Um, if it wasn't for Brexit, we'd have had nothing to say in that 2017 election because we just did not look relevant at all. I think the, we could easily have evaporated to nothing. So my daily coverage in the, in the election was so minimal. And so I had no opportunity to unpack it. That's the only thing I can say in my defence because I think the, the rest of it... So could I, if I'd, if I'd been a lot more open with my non-Christian team that were around me, um, may we have thought these things through and given them better answers, yeah. Um, likewise, my elders, my church community up in Kendall, I'm so grateful for them and to them, but they, they weren't really into the politics of it all, and so they hadn't really quite, it was hard for them to really understand why these things were an issue. And that's why I say, for people entering politics as Christians, you need to have fellowship, multi-party, no-party, people who are believers and who love you and who you love and who are in your group. But you also need to have some people, I wouldn't like to put a number on it, but it's more than two or three, who are Christians and part of your team and who are with you for the duration. So you've got that kind of faithfulness, but also the savviness as well. So no, no, I think wiser people than me um, could cope. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. And I'm sure God has made more use of me because I screwed up than if I hadn't, so... Thank you. Uh, anybody over this side? A raised hand. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. 
Hi, Tim. Thanks. Hi, yeah. um, my question is, you mentioned that um, it shouldn't be... Law -made, Christian lawmakers shouldn't make Christian laws for non-Christian people. We shouldn't try and use legislation to kind of make people more holy. How much do you think that position is influenced by the fact that we live in a society that has been predominantly Christian? And would you hold that position for kind of other slightly more oppressive regimes of elsewhere in the world? Yeah. So when I, I so you, it's a good question. Not not least because I, it's a it's a broad guide that you don't legislate to make people who are not Christians live as though they were. But having said all that, we're not valueless. And, and so you're, I am bound to be influenced, and I am, um, and you know, openly influenced in my politics by my faith. And uh, I recognise that there are no political parties which are 100% Christian. And so you are placed in a, in a place where um, you're part of a team and you know that they don't entirely get everything about you and you know you're going to be compromising. And that's fine, so long as you're not compromising what you believe and how you live personally. But you're right. I mean, it is becoming more apparent, I think, particularly through you know, the writings of Tom Holland and Glenn Scrivener, um, um, others as well, that the values, even, even the critique that secular society has against the Christian church is based entirely on Christian language. The idea that somehow equality and um, the idea of rights even uh, and human dignity and the rule of law and that the known is above the law, these are things that are uniquely true to Christianity. Now, I think the subtle difference is that some people would say it's down to nature and some down to nurture. And the nurture argument absolutely stands if you look at the kind of culture we live in where we assume uh, equality, where we assume there should be justice, where we assume um, that every human being matters uh, and there should be freedom, then... Um, that is indeed partly because this has been a society based upon Christian values. But obviously, if, we, if, if what we believe is true, then God's written that on our hearts. And you know, I was in a debate at the Cambridge Union a few months ago with Peter Tatchell, for whom I've got an enormous respect. Um, and he is a really physically brave man, right? Um, on behalf of lots of, you know, he probably wouldn't like to be called a liberal. You think that's an awful insult, but I think he's a great, great liberal because any fascist can go and defend their own freedoms or the freedoms of people like them. It takes a proper liberal to fight for the rights of people who are very unlike them. And so, yes, Peter Tatchell fights for LGBT rights. He also fights the rights of lots of different people who he's got very little in common with. And he doesn't just fight for them. He got himself, you know, badly, badly beaten up by Maccabi's bullies, for instance. So this is a really brave man who fights for human rights. And in that debate, um, I pointed out to him that I think actually, Peter, you're probably even, well, no, never mind, probably, I am sure you are more moral than I am. But those human rights you fight for are totally meaningless if there is no God. If there's no God, they're just fashions for now. The human rights that you literally risk your right, life for are, could be human wrongs tomorrow. Um, they have no standing. And so, yes, absolutely, our belief in right and wrong is going to influence our, um, our, our perspective on things and, and our governing. And so we've got to make choices, the extent to which we think we're helping the gospel, we are acting appropriately in a, in a society where church and state are separate to enforce certain things. And it's a judgment call is the most honest answer. When, when that somebody is typed in, um, so a little bit more personal maybe, um, how did you recover from backsliding in your 20s? 
And how did you make big life choices when in the middle of transitioning back to active faith? Oh, now then. So, I mean, um, so I have these big moments in sunny places. <laughs> um, uh, I was 32. And we were on our family summer holiday. Those days, uh, it was before the boys were born. So uh, my two uh, daughters and my wife were, I think it's asleep. We were somewhere in the south of Spain. I was drinking a bottle of wine, sat outside, um, reading Carl Sagan's Cosmos. I told you I was a space nerd. Um, if you don't know, Carl Sagan was kind of the American Brian Cox sort of 30 years ago. Um, and he was the human face of NASA. And if you've ever seen that photograph of Earth as the pale blue dot hanging in a sunbeam that was taken from Voyager 1 or 2 as it left the, so, uh, the, um, the solar system, the whole of humanity on something less than a pixel wide from billions of miles away, that was his idea. He did that. He's an atheist. And the book that he wrote to accompany the television programme, Cosmos, um, uh, which I watched when I was about 10, I read that book when I was 32 on holiday. Anyway, the theme that he kept returning to as he looked, he explored the process, the history of human exploration of science, and then space exploration, is that faith in general, but Christianity in particular, holds us back. It's nefarious, it's wrong. And it just struck me, it just jarred with me that that was not why I had stopped following Jesus. I'd stopped following Jesus, not because it wasn't true, but because it was not convenient. And I was immediately struck with how intellectually indefensible my backsliding was. Um, and then grace, well, it's scandalous. <laughs> um, so in the weeks that followed, it wasn't there and them. In the weeks that followed, I thought, I can't. You know, I know Jesus is who he says he is. I've lived for eight or nine years as if he wasn't. And that is an outrage, and so it's time to, to come back. So, um, yeah, that was quite radical. Um, Rosie and I had been together for a few years at that point. We'd been married a couple of years, um, and it was quite jarring for her. Um, praise the Lord, she came to faith and was baptised not many, many years ago. But there was no certainty that was going to happen in my heart when I, I knew I was doing something which would be quite shocking to my family, just as it was to my family, what, 15 years earlier. Thank you. Uh, anybody else this side? Thanks. Hi, Tim. Um, you asked for difficult and controversial questions. Looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, as, as a Christian and as a liberal politician as well, what are your perspectives on the Church of England and its role in the establishment and whether you think it's helpful for the gospel? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, as a, as a liberal in politics... And a, you know, um, a non-conformist, if you like, in faith. I belong to um, an independent evangelical church, uh, belongs to the FIEC. So, you know, I've got a double reason to be in favour of disestablishing the Church of England. Um, and I think I, I think I am. But I also kind of see that the role that the Church of England has in society, obviously there, there, are, there are churches that are faithful and there are churches that have decided to bend the culture rather than preach the gospel. And that's heartbreaking. Um, and, um, but the presence of the church in every parish in England um, is a positive by and large. Um, sometimes the gospel and sometimes just generally. So I think it's possible that we might see a, a tipexing out of the furniture of faith um, and so that so I, I am I'm a little bit nervous about what it would look like if we did disestablish the Church of England um, but having said that intellectually I don't see I, I don't think we should have a state church I don't think the C of E really is but if the king's your head then 
maybe it is. Um, so I don't think we should have a state church. I think that there is a danger that the church ends up being part of the furniture of the state and therefore is more likely to bend with the culture than if it was independent. Brackets, there are plenty of non-established churches in this country in the West who've bend, bended even quicker than the Church of England. So it's one of those things where I, intellectually, if I was writing an essay, I know my arguments would be, we shouldn't have a state church, it should be disestablished. And, um, you know, as a Christian, I, I kind of believe that um, the church shouldn't be a prisoner of the state and, and all that. And I can intellectually believe that, and I mostly really do think that. But there's part of me that thinks we might end up losing quite a lot in our society if we did disestablish the Church of England. So I'm kind of quietly in favour of no action. <laughs> um, another one that's been typed in, um, this person's asked, what can church leaders and churches do to better support leaders in politics? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, so I think be different than other lobby, lobby groups. So it's, you're, entirely, you're entirely right to come along and see if you should if you don't know who your councillor is or your councillors are or who your MP is then you know find out and then find a thing that you're passionate about and go and see them about it but don't I've, I've had um, and Josh will testify to this there are times when we will get into our inbox stuff from people who are Christians or say they're Christians and probably are um, which are really ungracious <laughs> um, particularly if they think I've voted the wrong way on something or think that I might vote the wrong way on something. And you can be, you don't need to, one of the things I absolutely hate, right, and I've said this before publicly, so I'll never get invited on, I hate Thought for the Day on Radio 4. It is just sappy, weak nonsense, waste of two minutes. I mean, you know, for people from other faiths, fine, you say what you like. But when you people are, who are claimed to be Christians going on there and wasting two minutes, you have two minutes when there's hundreds of thousands of people listening and you talk about flowers or whatever, for pity's sake. So, you know, so don't, you don't need, when, when we're told as Christians and to be gentle, we're not told to be soppily neutral on issues. If stuff is wrong, it's right to be angry about it. But we should conduct ourselves differently to other people so don't just be a normal lobbyist be somebody who's who, who wants to love and support the person who might totally disagree with you um, and tell them that you're praying for them and that sometimes that'll disturb people sometimes it'll encourage people and you just never know where that might lead thank you um maybe one more question from this side of the room any takers Going, going. See one right at the back. Here we go. Yeah. Sorry, I literally moved to this side. <laughs> to, to, to fulfil the criteria, well done. <laughs> sure there's a political joke. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, you, you touched briefly on um, Kate Forbes and her sort of views, and obviously you came under fire when you were leader. What... And you sort of mentioned briefly on sort of the established church, but why, why do you think the media is like so obsessed? Um, I mean, seemingly with gay sex, it seems. <laughs> um, because Keir Starmer went to Jesus' house and he had yeah. to apologise for, for going there. Um, Kate Forbes is obviously being challenged on it all the time. You, you were challenged on it. Is, is it, I mean, is it just because of the established church or is it... Or is, what, what is it? Obviously, Hamza Youssef holds probably the same views. He's not getting asked about it. Yes. So I think um, where to go. I think that... So because people seem... Well, 
I obviously reject, I, I hate the phrase conservative, you know, obviously I'm dressing in a conservative fashion, but, um, apart from the docs, um, but the, you know, but the idea that somebody of liberal centre-left values has these views which are, to coin a phrase or to put in quote marks, socially conservative, which I'd reject because I think they're radical, um, but all the same, that, that's, that's jarring. So being fair um, and objective and looking at why journalists and others are interested in it, then that's, that's why. Um, but it also seems so alien, I think, to a lot of people that you wouldn't just think, why isn't all that stuff all right? And so I, I think we as Christians need to be aware of how weird we are um, and how we are strange people. And we should be comfortable with that, and that's part of the job. But I think we are, often as, as Christians, we will talk about our society being religiously illiterate. I think to a degree it is. Our problem is that we end up being culturally illiterate, and we don't understand. So it's, you know, we, we don't need to, you know, worship the local gods in order to speak the local language. And we should understand what our culture is thinking, and love the people who are part of it. And so we need to try and take people on a journey um, and to understand, just to detach them from their hostility. If we think curiosity is better than hostility, how do we reach a stage of curiosity? And so I will say often, when those sort of issues come up, I'll say, look, okay, um, let's just imagine, we'll do a thought experiment for a moment. Let's just imagine, just for a moment, that there is a God. And here's the ground rules. This God is almighty and perfect, and you and me were just not, Okay. Now, if that's the case, if that God that we're now imagining simply affirms the things we already think and do and consider ourselves to be, then actually that is all we're doing. We're imagining that God. Dawkins is right about that God. He is a delusion. We've made him up as an extension of ourselves. Because if there is, let's imagine that God who is almighty and perfect and you and me, we're not. You would expect him to disturb you, to contradict you, to be absolutely in many ways, utterly unsettling and unnerving to you. And so if you are disturbed and unsettled and contradicted, it might be a clue that you have met the real one. Um, thank you. So um, maybe a final fun question that's come in on, on our really cool app here. Um, if you were not in politics, what would you be doing with your days, Tim? Oh, good question. Um, Think about that. Yeah. Sorry. Would the band like to come on up? Thank <laughs> you. I'd be the lead singer in a band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Um, I, I mean, there's an alternative reality where I was. Uh, we did get um, an offer to go and record with Island Records. Um, it didn't work out. Um, I'm writing a book. What do I do when I'm not doing politics? In my spare time, I run. Um, I'm a, a fourth-rate fell runner. I enjoy doing it. I've never won any awards except one. I'm going to finish with this as you, as you, as you wind up. So um, my constituency includes the town and the lake of Coniston, Coniston Water, and therefore Coniston Old Man, which is the mountain just by the village. Uh, there is a fell race up Coniston Old Man, and it's three miles to the top, three miles down, two and a half, 2,600 feet of ascent, and I've done it two or three times. Uh, the winner does it in 52 minutes. Took me 59, just to get to the top. <laughs> um, and then when I came down, there's one particular year where I got to the bottom and they'd been patient and I was there to give out the awards at the end. 
Um, and there's lots of awards. There's the fastest man, top three women, top three men, and then the fastest woman and fastest man of every age category, 30s, 40s, well, no, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and so I got to, I handed out all these awards until we got to the fastest woman over 70. And in this particular race, there were no women over 70, so they gave the award to me. Um, so on my mantelpiece at home, is, it stands proudly that I can, you are looking at, uh, I think the 2019 Coniston Old Man Fastest Woman Over 70, and I'm very proud. Um, that's what I'll be doing. Sorry. Take it away. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> I, I lied. I do have one final question oh, for dear. you, actually. Um, what would your prayer be for us as a HTC community in this current season of life? So, well, that you grow, um, that you would find people who don't yet trust the Lord Jesus and love them. And the best way you can love them is to find an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Uh, don't force the moment. God will provide the moment. Amen. There Thank you. you. Um, before you go down there... Um, We'd just like to pray for you and then if we can just hand over to you guys. Father God, we thank you for Tim and we thank you for the journey that you have brought him on. Uh, we thank you for his incredible mother and um, the way she invested in him and the seeds that she planted. Um, thank you for how you have been calling him to yourself and using him um, in powerful ways in different stages and arenas and platforms in his life. Thank you for what is in his hand and thank you that he uses that with such grace and such wisdom um, and by submitting that to you daily. God, I pray that you protect him. We pray for your protection over his family. We pray for your protection over the work of his hands and we pray, God, that in all things he would find favour with you first and foremost as he serves his fellow man. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.